Hello and welcome to Generation K, a New York Mets podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rosen. I'm taking back the reins this week from Brett, who's on his way home from Chicago. What a week. The pitching we all expected in April has finally arrived, and I got to see the fan- got to see the Mets twice in person. The Mets took 3-4 in Atlanta, and then DeGrom and Wheeler had role reversals against the Cubs. But before I go any further, I want to welcome in my co-hosts. First, from somewhere in the western part of the United States is Mr. Will Danilzik. Will, where are you right now? Hi, Chris. Yeah, I'm in Denver, Colorado right now. Uh, we actually we left Hawaii um, on Thursday, shipped our car across to San Francisco, picked it up there, and then headed out to Lake Tahoe and then Price, Utah. So, um, And now we're on to our third stop, which is Denver, Colorado. Very nice, very nice. Those are some nice stops on your cross-country trip. Doug, how about you? What are you up to this week? I want to stop you right there. We got to talk about this. Wednesday night was dollar hot dog night. How many hot dogs did you eat? Did you have the full baker's dozen? What's the story? No, no, no. I, I took it easy. I cut myself off at five. I had some. I added some popcorn, some ice cream with the kids. Uh, for the family, we went for a full dozen. Uh, okay. But respectable. We, we wow, that's pretty impressive, actually. Yeah, you know, I was talking about it the next day. I think I probably easily could have gone 10 if I really put my mind to it and was willing to take some pain for it. But, uh, you know, it was a casual night. Had the kids with me. Had to go easy. But let's get right into the show. This week we're going to cover the resurgent Mets pitching staff, until tonight anyway, the Mets roster juggling and injury decisions, and whether the momentum we've seen the Mets pick up over the past week is for real or whether it's just going to be a blip on a mediocre radar. The weekly record this week, 4-2 plus a win over the Cubs and an impending loss to the Cubs tonight as we record on Tuesday a day late, bringing the season record to 29-33, potentially 29-34 as they finish off the game. The Mets started the week getting a split down here in Texas and then took 3-4 of four from the Braves in Atlanta, including a Sunday win, which is their first Sunday matinee win of the season. They also have a nice win over Lackey and the Cubs on Monday, but again, on the day that we record, they fall flat with Wheeler really struggling tonight, doesn't even make it out of the second. But let's start with the positives. Will, what was the best thing you saw this week? For me, it was Wilmer Flores. He went uh, 9 for 23 for the second straight week and added two walks, two sack flies, and two doubles with a triple for a grand total batting average of 391 with an OPS of 972. I'm a little uh, cautiously optimistic, but this is kind of the kid we thought he was going to be when he was our stud prospect. Yeah, and he's hitting righties well, too. And he had a couple of nice plays at first this week, which is which is nice to see. Yeah, his versatility definitely where he's able to play all around the infield, but definitely it looks like first is his best position. And right now he's carrying a bat that really plays there. Yeah, he's carrying a bat that, that has to play somewhere every day, at least, I think. Doug, what was the best thing you saw this week? I'm going to go with Steven Matz. Um, Saturday performance, comes off the DL, goes seven innings, one earned run, um, only five hits. He had that, uh, you know, that hooking, breaking ball that we've come to love from him, um, and he's he's showing that potential that he's he's flashed the last two years. Uh, he's known to start strong. He started four and zero in two thousand and five. He started four and zero in two thousand six. Was rookie of the month in May, and um, hopefully he can continue that trend and then also show a little bit of durability. Um, I've been a guy who said that anything that we get out of Matt's this season is gravy, but. Now that Syndergaard is down, we really could use uh, Matt's in that rotation, and um, it was an encouraging sign. Yeah, and in fairness, the, the 4-0 in 2015 was starting from midseason, right? It was starting from his call-up, not from April. But it, just like you said, it, it was a great, a great encouraging start this past weekend on Saturday. 
uh, really made you feel good about the rotation with him, Gazelman, and Lugo all having really nice outings. Um, and, and certainly, you know, I said before the season I, that Gazelman and Wheeler were my guys, so I, I'd love to pick one of them as the best thing I saw this week. But I think I'm going to go with something a little more general and just say the Mets starting pitchers in general going well and going deep into games, almost everyone into or even through the seventh inning, starting with the game I was at on Wednesday, Wheeler goes seven innings, one-run baseball. Harvey only goes five, but no runs on on Friday. Gazelman, six and two-thirds, no runs on the, in game one Saturday. Matt, seven innings, one run, game two. Lugo, seven innings, one run on Sunday. And DeGrom going the full, complete game, only one run on Monday. So didn't quite get there tonight with Wheeler, but uh, really nice to see the starters really coming along, really pitching well, and taking some weight off the bullpen. Will, what was the worst thing you saw this week? I don't know. To me, that seems like uh, rushing back Cespedes. It was unnecessary to go and bring him back right now, maybe give him an extra couple of rehab games where he could go and um, stretch out that leg before coming back. He even said that I wanted to clarify something, as he, his quote is, I don't feel 100%, and I, but I feel I'm ready to play. But I think you have to wait with your star for him to be 100%. Yeah, absolutely. That was his post-game quote. You know, before the game on uh, Saturday, you know, he said, I'm not feeling 100%, and everyone kind of jumped all over it. And I think this was his way of trying to walk that back, saying, I'm not 100%, but I'm ready to play. But you have to kind of question that. He plays game one Saturday. He kind of expected that he'd sit out game two, but then he has to sit out Sunday as well. Monday, he has to leave the game early because, of t- you know, tendonitis in his, in his ankle, um, in his heel, excuse me. So, you know, it really feels like they rushed him back. He'd only played one game in the past 10 days, had, didn't have any hits in that game. Really have to wonder what the rush is, especially when they're getting so much production from the outfield already. Conforto's played well all season. Uh, Lagaris is really playing, doing a nice job in center field. And then you have Jay Bruce. So unclear to me what the rush is with Cespedes. Uh, so a little bit frustrating. I have to agree with you there. Yeah, it seems like a Wilpon decision right there. Yeah, kind of. But even with Wilpon, it doesn't really feel like it makes a ton of sense. Not sure why the desperation at this point but yeah i I hear you 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 have to question the mets injury decisions every time doug what about you what's the worst thing you saw this week to me it's the roster moves and um you know there were a couple head scratchers first we get three healthy players back and we still have neil ramirez on the team quote unquote healthy yeah (laughs) well but you know like like i've said the past couple weeks as soon as we get healthy players back we got to get rid of the guys like malone and the guys like ramirez who really don't belong in this team so sending down Matt Reynolds was the obvious move. Um, and then they also sent down Pill, which I could go either way on. doesn't really matter to me. But they keep Ramirez, who's terrible, and they keep Smoker up, even though we have lefties in Edgen and Blevins, and they send down TJ Rivera. Um, obviously, it becomes a moot point because Cabrera goes on the DL, and now TJ's back up. But, I mean, at the time, our roster construction was pretty terrible with Reyes as our only form of depth. So we have those... We have bringing Cespedes back for no reason, like we touched on. And then we have still no sign of Rosario, even though Cabrera goes on the DL. So to me, the worst thing I've seen this week is the Mets brass and their roster. Really not sure what they're doing. And um, a lot of head scratching for me. Yeah, and let's let's go back and take that piece by piece for a minute. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the first thing is sending down Matt Reynolds, who I think most people don't really feel like is a major league baseball player. And as you mentioned, I don't think there's a real problem with that. And then over the weekend, you have to send down two more players. And the decision is made. They send down TJ Rivera, who I think everybody likes, um, and also Tyler Pill. 
in my mind, I would have liked to have seen them hold on to Tyler Pill rather than Neil Ramirez. You kind of know what you're getting at this point with Neil Ramirez. Uh, Tyler Pill, I would have liked to see them give him a shot. He hasn't been bad when he's pitched. But at the same time, you know, don't want to kill the Mets too much over that. Um, and Rivera, as much as everyone likes him, you know, he has not been... He, it's not like he's been tearing the cover off the ball. He's only hitting two fifty five. Uh, very average OPS, 712, and he's not a plus defender. Not doesn't really have a position. Uh, but then coming back to the big decision today, Cabrera, after having a nice night on Monday against the Cubs, uh, goes on the DL. I think everyone is expecting to see Rosario come up. Doug, why do you, why do you think they're not bringing him up yet? I, honestly, I'm baffled because to me, it's the absolute perfect time. Um, you know, clearly Cabrera isn't so far away from playing. He he plays last night. He has two home runs. Um, I think some of the rationale on the pregame today was saying that he has trouble swinging the bat from the right side, and we're facing a lot of lefties this week. So with that being the case, clearly he's good from one side. He couldn't be too far away um, from coming back healthy. It's the perfect time to bring up Rosario because you have 10 days. You have this trial period. We're past the Super 2 deadline, so it doesn't hurt to bring him up. If he plays well and he runs with it, then you have Cabrera on the bench. You get rid of Ramirez. And then you have power coming off the bench. Cabrera, if he doesn't go into the tank and sulk, he's got that that bat that you want to come in in, in, in clutch situations. Um, if you know he does struggle, then all we're asking him to do is play an up play an upgraded defensive shortstop, really, um, which shouldn't be too hard for him because he's a much smoother fielder than Cabrera is, and Cabrera has no range at this point. So I really don't see the downside in bringing him up, and I really. I'm baffled. I really am. I don't get it. Yeah, Doug, I'm, I'm right with you. Uh, so I was actually, I was thinking, I was trying to run through my mind of why this could be, right? What, what is the thinking behind this? And I was thinking, oh, maybe that Alderson has said in the past that he likes to have these guys go and see the playoffs and the AAA midseason playoffs are coming up soon. I'm like, maybe the uh, the Las Vegas team is in the running for that. Nope, they're dead last. So I, I can't even go and spitball ideas of why he wouldn't bring up Rosario here. Yeah, I think two things, if I were to come... Not that I think it's the right decision, but two reasons that I, I've kind of come up with. One, you're bringing him into two series where the Mets are building some momentum and they're playing really good teams. There's going to be a lot of attention this week. You know, I think they may... Usually you try and bring a guy up, you know, in games, maybe an interleague game, a game that's a little bit lower intensity um, so they can kind of get acclimated. If you remember when Reyes came up, he came up against the Rangers. So I think that's potentially one reason... The second reason, I think, is with Cabrera coming back in such a short period of time, uh, you know, if you're, when you're going to bring Rosario up, you kind of want it to be permanent, right? And so I think if you had, a, if you had another injury to Cabrera where he's going to be out a month or something, then you give Rosario a shot. But maybe they're thinking is they don't want to bring him up for four days and then send him right back down. I'm not saying those are necessarily the right arguments, but they're just two arguments that I could see the Mets making in their mind. Yeah, but... I mean, like you said, we're playing tough teams, so that's all the more reason to want your best players in the Great lineup. Great point. And ro- rolling out Jose Reyes in his 188 batting average is just not going to cut it. I mean, this is the time where you need to make some some headway with the standings. I mean, we're, we're nine games out of a playoff spot now, and we're just going to throw these games away with Reyes at shortstop and, and hitting the way he's hitting. Why? It doesn't make sense. I mean, bring the kid up. He can't be any worse than Cabrera in the field, and it's hard to do worse at Reyes at the plate 
So I really don't see any downside. Yeah, you make a fair point. Um, the, the one thing I will say in defense of Jose Reyes is he has been better in the field. Um, this year he's been better at shortstop than he has the past couple seasons. And as the season's gone on, to my eyes at least, uh, he's been better at third than he was at the start of the season. Uh, but that said, I, you know, I think you're right. I think Rosario should be up here at this point. Um, the worst thing I saw this week was DeGrom, and he, he is really tough to watch. He got absolutely shelled on Tuesday. You know, over the Milwaukee, the start against Milwaukee and the start against Texas this week, he threw a total of eight innings, 15 earned runs. Um, and being in the ballpark on Tuesday, it was really stark to watch. I mean, any it felt like he had no control, and anything that was even near the plate was getting crushed. Even his outs were just loud outs. Um, and so I, I was pretty concerned. It was really good to see him bounce back yesterday. You know, I was planning on asking you guys when I thought we were going to record on Sunday, I was planning on asking whether, you know, I was right to be concerned. Now maybe that's, you know, that's not so much the case. And, and you look at the numbers and they reflect the fact that maybe it, it, things weren't as bad as they looked. You know, his home run rate was unsustainably high, uh, you know, 20% for the season. As we've talked about a few times, it's going to come back to between 8 and 12%. So, you know, we're getting that positive regression. He looks great last night against the Cubs. But I actually have a different question I want to ask you guys, which is, you know, seeing how he reacted after throwing 118 pitches and pitching into the ninth against Pittsburgh, you know, he has the back-to-back bad starts against Milwaukee and Texas. Are you surprised that Terry let him throw the complete game last night and go 116 pitches, especially coming back out to the ninth, already up above 100 pitches, and with the Mets up five runs? Will, what do you think? I know you want to get after Terry here. Yeah, I was surprised, especially how he reacted after the last time he threw 118 pitches. Um, and once again, they have a pretty big lead at that time. I, In my opinion, I think you go to your pen and – just kind of uh, win that game and kind of rest DeGrom, even though he would, would have thrown over 100 pitches. Um, but I, I, I don't see why to bring him back out for the ninth other than just for pride. Well, it came out after the game that he walked into the dugout after the eighth and told Terry he wanted to finish. Um, I didn't love the fact that he threw 118 pitches in the game against Pittsburgh. But if this gives him the confidence, if staying in and pitching the ninth gives him the confidence that he needs, um, I'm all for it. I, we've seen similar situations where Harvey demands to stay in or, or Syndergaard you know, demands to get the ball when he may not be healthy. But I just feel like DeGrom, I trust him a little bit more. I feel like he's a little bit more heady than they are and you know, not as testosterone-led. And I, I, I don't know. I feel like if the 15 pitches that he threw in the ninth inning are going to help him mentally throughout the rest of the season, I'm okay with it. Yeah, here's my issue. Um, last week, you know, in our Slack chat as we prepared for the show, um, you know, we bat we bat around the question about whether Terry Collins was to blame for Degrom's two bad starts. The starts against Milwaukee and Texas, and I said, you know, against Pittsburgh, he only goes 118 innings. It's not like, uh, excuse me, 118 pitches. It's not like they threw him 135. Um, you know, it's not like he has a long history of struggling to come back from long starts. I think Will did that research, and I'm sure he can quote the stat for us. Um, you know, so I said at the end of the day, 118 pitches from your ace. Um, you know, maybe you could have taken him out before the ninth against Pittsburgh, but at the end of the day, I didn't think that that was too much. Now that said, having just seen him struggle after taking a heavy workload, giving him a heavy workload in his first good start back, you know, now if he struggles again, I start to say, well, Terry, you should have known better, right? You just saw him throw 118, then struggle for two starts, then you sent him out for 116. 
So, yeah, I think Terry's kind of putting himself out there a little bit. I think he, he's going to be up for some criticism if DeGrom again struggles in his next start or two. Well, I think this is typical of Terry. I think that he's a player's manager, and he gives in too much to emotion. He gives in to what players want. Um, that's why he stays too loyal to players who might not give them the best chance to win. Um, and it's why he, he's easily persuaded when trying to decide when to take a pitcher out. Um, I think it's just kind of who he is. Yeah, I mean, you see that. You, you kind of want him to be the adult in the room, right? Uh, with Cespedes, when Cespedes tells him, no, it's okay, my hamstring's fine. When Syndergaard says, no, I don't need an MRI, I can pitch, I'm fine. right? It's great that he has faith in his players, but you also want him to be the adult in the room sometimes. Let's go from DeGrom right to this the Texas series that started on Tuesday. Uh, the Mets got Dylan G on Tuesday, our old friend. And you had to feel good about DeGrom coming in uh, against Dylan G. DeGrom had the bad start, as we've referenced multiple times already, against Milwaukee, and so you thought he was going to bounce back. You thought he was going to be the ace. Um, And the Mets got up early, but the Rangers scored eight runs in four innings off DeGrom. Um, You know, and admittedly, the ballpark down here is a bandbox, and the wind was blowing out to right. Everything that got up in the air to right was going to get out. But that notwithstanding, every ball he threw was getting hit hard. And so, you know, a really tough night for him. Yeah, balls were just being launched all over the stadium, and it was early and often on both sides, actually. By the way, uh, that got that got out of hand pretty quick. How, how late did you stay? You know, we got there two and a half, about two and a half hours early for batting practice. We actually got one of the season ticket holders we know to give us their season ticket holder pass that gets us in early. Uh, Andrew got there. He wanted to see batting practice. We hung out. He made it all the way through all four hours of that game, so we... We were there for a good six and a half hours, and we made it all the way through. Wow, and, that's a long night. Well, you know me. I don't like leaving early. And I asked Andrew after about the sixth inning when the Mets were down a bunch and, and the, kind of the excitement had gone out of the ballpark a little bit whether he wanted to go. Uh, he said no, and I asked him again after the seventh, and he said no. And after the starting in the eighth inning, we actually got to go all the way down to the first row, and that kind of reinvigorated him. And in the ninth, when the Mets got that rally going, um, you know, if you remember, they were down 10-4. They battled all the way back to 10-8. They have the tying run on first. Um, and there's a lot of New York transplants down here. So there's let's go Mets chance rolling through our section. And, you know, we were pretty into it. Andrew was into it. We thought, I, I honestly thought we were going to get a little bit of a miracle in, in Andrew's first regular season game, but it wasn't to be. Um, I think we all did because we're suckers. Yep, that's absolutely right. You got to credit the Mets bats, though. Uh, it would have been really easy to watch your ace go out there, get shelled, and just call it a night. Uh, but they were battling. You know, I, I, they had some great at bats in the ninth inning. And so, you know, the, I, I think the one thing you are seeing are the bats coming along. And you know, going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, if you want to look for another reason to bring Rosario up, he's right now he'd have a lot of protection in the lineup, a lot of guys contributing. Um, you know, from Flores to Duda to Conforto to Lagares. Bruce to Darno having some good hits, uh, some big hits this week. So, you know, credit to the bats in this game, credit to them this week. Uh, and and let's, but let's move right on to Wednesday. Um, and this one, not as kind of a pitching matchup. You have Wheeler versus Darvish. And I got to tell you, Darvish was on his game. I'm not sure if you guys could see this on TV, but it was, it was clear quickly that he had his best stuff. He had no hit type stuff on Wednesday. Um, you know, I think I actually messaged in our Slack chat from the game that I thought he was going to no-hit us on Wednesday. Uh, you know, no one was even getting close. No one was putting good swings on the ball. 
Um, and it's funny, the Mets' first two hits, both Jay Bruce, both home runs, um, and that really turned the momentum. Uh, and Wheeler really struggles coming out, which was really scary after you know the night before where, where DeGrom just gets shelled. Um, Wheeler comes out, loads the bases with none out in the first, gives up a run, uh, gets through the second quick, puts on some more runners in the third. But from there, he really cruised. He looked good. Um, very exciting to see him uh, to see him having that type of success. You know, he said after the game, I honestly didn't have a clue where the ball was going in the first, but after that, I settled down and found it quick. Ended up goes going seven innings, only one run. Um, he's finished six innings in five of his last six starts. I remember early on, Doug, you were complaining, saying he was never going to make it through through six innings. Uh, he's given up two runs or less in six of his last seven. And again, this is all coming into Tuesday night against the Cubs, where you know he, he certainly gives one back. Uh, but other than that, you know, you got to credit him. He's really been giving the Mets a chance to win, right? Yeah, he's definitely looked pretty good. Uh, I really credit you, uh, Chris, for seeing it early on and really seeing this potential. Um, I know I was with Doug about I thought he was a five-inning pitcher, but he's going deeper. He's been a little bit more economical with his pitches. And aside from today, he's really been outstanding. Yeah, you know, I still think he has trouble finishing off at bats. You saw that a little bit tonight against the Cubs. Uh, you know, he gets ahead of Schwarber. You know he gets ahead of um, he gets ahead of Rizzo. You know, he gets ahead of a lot of hitters, and he not clear to me he has the strikeout pitch, right? He doesn't throw ninety eight or ninety nine. He just throws ninety six. Seems like guys can get a piece of it. You know his slider guys can get a piece of it, and, and you know he ends up going o two and then walking a lot of guys. You saw him walking a run tonight on on a hitter he had o two. Uh, so that that's my only concern with him is is whether he can really finish off at bats, but. You definitely have to like what you're seeing. Yeah, my my text to you guys earlier was that watching him pitch is infuriating because um, he gets two outs and then he gives up a hit to Lester and then he walks the uh, the nine hitter on four pitches and then he's got uh, he's got Rizzo zero and two and then he goes from zero two to three two and he's just like it, I don't know flashes of potential with frustration sprinkled in and it's just ugh. And you got to wonder, and Will, I'm going to ask you this, because I know you're a Joe Madden guy. Does does Joe Madden have a golden horseshoe stuffed up his ass? I mean, Lester's not a good hitting pitcher, right? He's not a good hitting pitcher. Uh, they put him in to, and to hit eighth tonight instead of ninth, and he ends up getting a big hit in an inning that absolutely blows the game open. How is that possible? How does that happen to us? Yeah, I have no idea, but... It seems that it happens to us all the time that we just can't put away pitchers for whatever reason. Yeah, but we're jumping way ahead. We're still, we, we were talking about the Wednesday game against the Rangers. Um, and so Wheeler goes seven, only gives up one run, leaves with the lead. And in the eighth, the usually reliable Jerry Blevins comes in, served up the game-tying home run to Chirinos, a pinch, uh, uh, their backup catcher, a right-hander. Guys, should Blevins have been allowed to face the righty here or should they have gone to the pen? Who would they even use in this situation, I guess, is my question, in the eighth inning? Well, I'm someone who's advocated for using Blevins as the eighth inning guy. Um, I think he's been our most reliable pitcher this year out of the pen. So I'm going to I'm gonna defend Terry here. I'm completely fine with him facing righties or lefties. Um, I think he just made a bad pitch, and it happens. Uh, hitters get paid, too. And that was, you know, that one batter is not going to make me not trust Blevins anymore. That's I fair. Mean, I do wonder how much... It's Terry Collins knowing just enough about statistics to get himself into trouble. Uh, you know, Blevins had the reverse splits last year. Uh, Righty's only hitting 172 against him. 
This year, that's really flipped the opposite way. Three righties are hitting 346 off him with an over one OPS. But that said, there's not a lot of good options, and we're going to cover that more later in terms of who's left in the pen. Um, so kind of kind of a tough situation there. Yeah, I think it's a part of also the pen construction that um, that he uses a lot of guys out of the pen, but I really think that the Mets, um, at least Blevins and Edgins, are really best suited to be uh, really loogies, just one-out guys or just pitch to lefties. I do think Blevins is able to uh, pitch to righties, but I think that he's best used just kind of in that lefty-lefty role. Yeah, but the Mets are able to scrape this one out. In the ninth, you have Duda with the one-out double. Um, then Terry Collins makes the call to pinch run Matt Reynolds for Duda, which ended up being a really good decision. you got to tip your cap on that one. Uh, you have a Flores strikeout and a Granderson walk, which was a great at-bat after falling behind 0-2. Um, then Reyes hits a soft liner up the middle that Odor kind of struggled to corral. He spiked the throw uh, to second to try and get the force, and Reynolds comes all the way around from second to score there. Um, really a big play. It was actually interesting. I I was sitting right behind third base. So I didn't have a good angle on it. I couldn't see at first that he had dropped the ball. Um, I wasn't sure whether he was safe just based on having beaten the, the throw there. Um, so not until I got home and actually saw the replay could I tell what happened. But uh, a couple tense moments there as they reviewed it. Yeah, it was it was clear on TV, both live and on replay, that he never had possession. So I wasn't worried about that. Yeah, and Reed comes in with a really nice ninth for the clean save and the Mets salvage the split down here in Texas and send me and the family home happy. Uh, but want to talk about one thing. We probably should have mentioned it last week about who the Mets should DH in interleague play, but I, I thought they've kind of made some interesting decisions this week. On Tuesday against Dylan G, Granderson's the DH. They leave Bruce in right field. Uh, Flores at third, Cabrera at short, and Lagares in center. Um, I was really surprised they didn't use Reyes at shortstop and DH Cabrera, or at least use Granderson and Wright instead of Bruce. Will, what were they thinking here? Well, I think if you read into Terry's comments, he's still under the impression that Cabrera is a good defensive shortstop, which is really comical that he's talking about uh, Cabrera just slumping uh, in the field and that last year anything hit to him was an out. So just, I think, Terry's in a little bit of an alternative reality with Cabrera at the very least. Um, and I think that he just kind of used it as a day off. I think there's a, a morsel of truth there, right? His range, Cabrera's range is clearly less than it has been, and it wasn't great to begin with. That said, the errors on balls at him, um, you know, he's always had a terrible zone rating, but he's usually been pretty sure-handed on balls that he actually gets to. This year, he's not even doing that. You know, just a ton of errors on balls that he gets to, throwing errors. Uh, balls that he boots, so on and so forth. Um, and I think that that is a little bit of a slump, a little bit mental. Uh, and so I think maybe that's what Terry's referring to. But but to your point, you're right that ev- you know even if he can clean that up, he's still a poor defender at shortstop. I do agree that he was shorthanded earlier in his career. But I think as if you were slow to begin with, and as you lose that step, that means you have to go and rush to make that what used to be a routine play. And now you're trying to rush it because. Otherwise, you're not going to beat that uh, the runner come down the line. Yeah, so if you want his bat in the lineup, wouldn't it have made more sense to have Reyes at short and Cabrera DH? I agree with that. Well, it, it's hard to advocate for putting Reyes in the lineup right now. I mean, the guy can't hit. Yeah, but in, in this case, instead you have Granderson in the lineup. It's not clear that Granderson hit, can hit that much either. And it's interesting to me that you DH Granderson there. Speaking of playing time decisions relating to the outfielders, Juan Laguerre is having a big week. He was 5 of 9 while he was down here in Texas with a home run. He's 9 for 19 for the week. Doug, should he be playing every time against lefties? Maybe not every time, but he's certainly 
deserves more playing time after the way he's been swinging the bat. Um, obviously, he's a defensive upgrade over everybody else in the outfield. So if he starts to swing the bat too, um, he's really justifying his spot in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I think against lefties, he has to be in the lineup. Uh, against lefties, he's hitting 280 with an 837 OPS. Uh, you know, obviously Granderson is struggling against lefties, um, and Bruce uh, only hitting 213, 705 OPS against lefties. So uh, against lefties, I, I really feel like it has to be Lagaris, Cespedes, Conforto. Um, now against righties, it's a different story. Obviously, you know, I think you're going to want to get Conforto in center field, get Bruce in right. Um, but I think even against righties, I think he's probably a better option at this point, or at least debatable, if, uh, you know, in comparison to Granderson, if, say, for example, Cespedes needs a day off against a righty. Um, you know, I, I think he's really starting to relegate Granderson to the fifth outfielder role. Will, what do you think? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. The um, I could see against righties that you go and play Granderson, that Granderson has a little bit more pop and... And that's when you can kind of get him into the lineup. I think that against lefties, he has to play against every lefty. I would put him in. And I would also have him finish every game. That Get him in with uh, whenever you bring in in the 7th or 8th. Double switch him in there and have him finish every game. And that will get him a couple more at-bats late in games too where he uh, is showing that he's capable of doing that. Yeah, and I think but just to go back to a second against righties, you know, I think the argument there is whether he's the – fourth outfielder or the fifth right great you said play Granderson but I don't think you actually mean play Granderson I just think he's you're saying he's ahead of Lagaris in the pecking order because against righties you know you think Cespedes is going to be in the game every game righty or lefty and against righties I have to think Conforto and Bruce are in so Granderson he's the you know maybe he's the fourth outfielder against righties and the fifth outfielder against lefties uh, maybe he's the fifth against both uh, but yeah Chris you're absolutely right I Cespedes isn't back in my mind yet. I, I don't know. I just uh, I forgot that was an oversight on my part. That's a good point. Yeah, uh, but it's a good point. Uh, not really an oversight in, in so far as Cespedes, for the time being, it seems like he's going to need a lot of days off. Um, you know, it's tough to watch Cespedes. You know, we've already talked about whether they brought him back to injury from injury too quick. You know, but you saw him Saturday in the outfield, really struggling. You know, looking like a guy who is not. You know, it doesn't even look like he's halfway back. Um, you know, anytime he had to run the outfield, it, he kind of had that really painful-looking deceleration after he caught the ball. Um, you know, really a struggle. And, you know, you wonder how much that heel tendonitis is is from compensating for the hamstring and so on and so forth. But Yeah, and, and, and Monday night he hit a ground ball. Um, and, you know, I'm not even sure if he left the box. It was a tailor-made double play ball, and he was probably three steps up the line. Which I— I think Keith actually mentioned that uh, that was recommended by Terry that he does not run out ground balls that he believes is out, which just totally spits in the face of everything I believe in as a baseball team that kind of run everything out. It also goes against everything that Terry has said as his as long as he's been a manager of the Mets. So th- this is this is the maddening part, right? Terry just doesn't stand for anything. He's an emotional guy. He does whatever he feels like on that particular day, whether it has gone against everything that he stood for or whether it's you know makes sense in the long run it if it feels like something he wants to do that day he's going to do it yeah maddeningly inconsistent um you know you've heard keith talk before about running out ground balls you don't have to bust it down the line you know let's be realistic it's 162 game season um so if he's not busting it down the line especially as he's coming back from injury that's probably okay um but the fact that he's just so injured that you know they don't even really want him 
half running it down the line. Kind of kind of difficult to deal with. But let's move on to the Braves series. Uh, the Mets, they dropped the Friday evening affair 3-2. to two. Uh, Harvey Stars, he gave the Mets five scoreless innings, only four hits and two walks. You know, a lot less runners, a lot less traffic on the base pass than we've seen recently. Um, you know, but he, he's not very economical with his pitches. He's pulled after 104 in the fifth, but he does leave with that thin one nothing lead. Uh, Paul Seawald comes in, and he struggles again when given an opportunity in a high-leverage situation. This is this is painful for me. You know, I called all season, you know, saying that Wheeler was going to be the real deal, and he's lived up for me. I begged for the Mets to use Paul Seawald in higher leverage situations, and he's just absolutely spit the bit when given the opportunity the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, he gives up a Matt Kemp double right away. He re- he's able to retire Adams and Suzuki, but then following an intentional walk to Danny Santana, gave up the go-ahead double to Dansby Swanson. Uh, the Mets, they battled back. They tied up on a Darno home run. Again, that secondary score and getting, a, getting production from throughout the lineup. Uh, you know, but they try and let Fernando Salas pitch two innings, and in the ninth, he allows the game-winning run. Um, you know, but after dropping the Friday game, they really bounced back the rest of the weekend, and it was starting pitching that really, that really got them there. Uh, they got dominant efforts from Gazelman, Mats, and Lugo Saturday and Sunday to take the series. Uh, collectively, their whip is under one, right? You know, we've seen games this year where Harvey's able to have a little bit of success, but he has a lot of runners on. Even early in the season, Wheeler, and, and really throughout the season, Wheeler's put a lot of runners on and able to work their way through it. But these three outings this weekend, Gazelman and Mats on Saturday and Lugo on Sunday, all of them really felt like, you know, no one could get on base against them. Um, and I actually did a little digging uh, on Gazelman today because I was trying to guess what it was that's been different his second time, his second time through the uh, his second time in the rotation. If you remember, he was in the rotation, then they sent him to the bullpen for a week or two. He's been back in the rotation and very good in his second stint. Uh, guys, any guesses as to what the difference has been? Will um, I would have to guess that his ground ball percentage is um, is up that he's getting more ground balls and maybe they're just finding um fielders a little bit better because that is kind of a lucky statistic but that's just a guess doug any guesses um yeah i mean he he is a ground ball pitcher so i was thinking along the same lines um we know he's been victimized by defense earlier in the year um yeah it could be luck it could be just better fielding um and and balls getting hit at guys instead of in holes yeah, Will, I think you're gonna be. I think you're gonna be unhappy when you hear what the answer is here. I also had kind of assumed that the ground ball percentage was gonna be up when I looked at the stats, just based on you know kind of visually what I was seeing in the games. Um, but it's something actually that you hit on more often. His ground ball percentage is actually down in his second stint through the rotation. Kind of surprising, given that he's a single ball pitcher and he's been having success. Uh, the the biggest difference is just the home run percentage. He was giving up home runs, and we talked about this. He was giving up home runs at a 19.2% clip uh, ground uh, home run to fly ball ratio. Um, one out of every fly ball, five fly balls going out of the yard. And as we've talked about, it's usually more like one out of every 10. Uh, and in his second stint back in the rotation, it's now his home run per fly ball percentage is 8.7%. Um, kind of within the normal range, maybe on the low end of it. Uh, but not getting more ground balls... Uh, his K's are actually down a little bit. His walks are down. He's walking about one less runner per game. But the biggest thing, the biggest difference right now is just uh, balls that get up in the air aren't going out of the yard, uh, which is surprising as the weather gets warmer. So, you know, as we look at these pitchers, it's always kind of an important thing to remember that 
a lot a lot of it is luck i think on those on those home runs uh you know a lot of it you're just seeing kind of regression to the mean with gazelman um, but in a, in a positive manner so so happy to see him having some success even if it's not quite what we might have expected the reasoning um you know but Mats and lugo yeah, obviously can't extrapolate too much from just one start but really happy to see them both in the lineup pitching well able to go deep into the game uh right off the bat very exciting you know to for the Mets to have a number of guys who can who can carry the load for them um you know and this is what we expected and it was worth noting that this is not a bad Braves offense um over the course of the season you know coming into tonight's game on Tuesday this Braves offense is really similar to the Cubs offense in terms of just you know gross run output so you know really a very encouraging series against the Braves um because we're recording a little bit late this week we got to see a little bit of of Monday and Tuesday, um, we saw, you know, we talked a little about DeGrom really dominant on Monday against the Cubs. Uh, he got four double plays, which really helped, but, you know, he goes a complete game, 116 pitches, uh, wanted to go out for the ninth, finishes the game itself. Uh, you know, we saw Cabrera with the unforced error on the fly ball, and I had some not-so-nice things to say about him <laughs> in our Slack chat, but he, he, uh, he must have... He must have been on our Slack chat last night because he came back and redeemed himself um, again with the, the offense coming from throughout the lineup. Tonight, the story of the game is is Wheeler coming out and just not having it. Funny, he gives up the leadoff home run, comes back to strike out the side in the first. Uh, in the second, looks like he's looks like he's starting to get into a rhythm, uh, but then with two outs, just as we talked about earlier, couldn't quite put a couple hitters away. Ends up giving up the grand slam. Um, and that was about that was about all she wrote on a night. That was a long night for the Mets. Basically, any night record is going to be a long night for the Mets. But here's what I want to know. So before tonight, the Mets win five out of six. And what I want to know from you guys is this a blip on the radar, or is this Mojo Ryzen? Will Mojo Ryzen or blip on the radar? Unfortunately, I think it's a blip on the radar. The the team has kind of done this uh, all season where they roll off a, a handful of wins and then follow that by the worst losing streak I've ever seen. So um, unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to get too high on this one either. You know, I think I disagree. I'm, you may, you, we may not see it this week, right? It's a tough week because you have the Cubs, you have the Nationals, so we may go into a little bit of a, uh, a, a, little bit of a dip again. But I think with this starting pitching, um, and it's not always going to be the same as it was this weekend, I recognize that. They're not going to go seven innings, one run every game. But the Mets are going to get a lot better, more consistent starting pitching now with guys getting healthy. Um, so assuming we can keep Mats, assuming we can keep Lugo in the rotation for a few weeks, I think we're going to start to see it. Is this team going to be the best team in the National League? Are they going to chase down the Nationals? No, but I do think that they are going to be significantly improved. I don't think this is just a blip on the radar. I think they're going to be a significantly above 500 team the rest of the way if they can get any type of injury luck. And that's still to be seen, right? Um, but... You know, with the balanced offense, getting the getting Flores hitting, having Conforto hitting, Bruce Duda's having a nice season in his walk year. Um, and uh, you know, remember, we do have a lot of guys near walk year, so there's guys who are going to be motivated to play. So I think that this team is going to be better than what they've been. Will it be good enough to make the playoffs? Probably not. Um, you know, five thirty eight says that they're going to be a five hundred team the rest of the way, seventeen percent chance of making the playoffs. I think that's probably underestimating them a little bit. I think they're going to be a little bit above five hundred. Um, but but maybe not quite good enough to get all the way back into the playoff hunt. Doug, what do you think? Uh, th- I mean, the team has plenty of firepower, so I think it really just comes down to pitching. And in the case of this past week, instead of starting guys like Tommy Malone and Montero, you're starting big league quality starters. So 
I think they're going to go as as the pitching goes because they've been relatively consistent with the bats. Yeah, and while we're talking about pitching, uh, we've talked a lot about the starters and how well they pitch in the Atlanta series, how good DeGrom was against the Cubs. we got to go back to the bullpen because the bullpen somehow, even as the starting pitching gets healthier, goes deeper in games, the bullpen seems to look worse and worse. Um, you know, I think the shine is off Seawald a little bit. Second straight week failing in a big spot. His ERA's ballooned all the way up to 476. Um, you know, Blevins obviously giving up the home run in Texas this week. And I don't know who else is even out there at this point. I mean, who do you guys trust out of the pen besides Reed and Blevin against lefties, right? Blevin, you know, we talked about the numbers, right? He's hitting pretty well off them. So not even clear that he could be an eighth inning guy. Who do, who do you want in the eighth inning? Yeah, that's tough. I, it's, I think you're, you're fighting with fire. Anyone you put out there, uh, in the eighth inning, um, the good news is that it sounds like Familia is going to start throwing soon. So hopefully he can get back and then maybe we can shift back to the way that Sandy um, laid it out to come into the season. I think it's just going to be a matter of going with the hot hand and mixing and matching. Um, you know, earlier in the season, we had hoped that Salas could potentially play a key role, but I think Car- Terry just ran him into the grounds. And I think he's, he's, he seems kind of done at this point. Um, obviously, everybody knows how I feel about Neil Ramirez. Um, Smoker's been terrible. So, I mean, there really aren't very good options. There isn't one guy that you can go to outside of the, the two that you mentioned that you can really rely on day in and day out. So it's just going to have to be a mix and match thing. And, you know, hopefully the starters can keep going seven or eight. Yeah, Doug. And I think that if, uh, if the starters get a little bit deeper into the game, and the pen isn't so heavily used early that you might be able to lefty-righty your way through the eighth. And um, while you use more guys, it might be an effective way to kind of bridge the gap to read. Yeah, you know, I noticed one name you guys didn't throw out there, Josh Edgen, who actually, in terms of ERA, looks pretty good, sub-3 ERA. Um, but going back to those home run per fly ball statistics, which I think, I think I'm falling in love with this year, 3.2% unsustainably low number of balls going out out of his fly balls uh, 3.2 percent of his fly balls are going spoiler alert started to regress tonight yep uh you know xfib hates him i didn't realize he started to regress he was actually we were recording the show doug has it on in the background so i'm glad that that's that statistic kind of proved itself out a little bit um, you know, because as I looked at the numbers today, he was he was had the next best ERA after Reed and Blevins. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully they can lefty righty a little bit. Um, but you know, like we said, we're, you're not going to get seven innings every game out of the starters. And if you have a, a few starts in a row where they're only going five or six, uh, you know, I think the pen's really going to start to to look like an eyesore, even worse than before. But guys, no more depressing discussion of the bullpen. It's wager time. Wager time. And to update the Harvey Wheeler score, my favorite bet of the year, uh, the score remains Harvey 4, Wheeler 3, notwithstanding Wheeler's great start last week. And good thing we're not counting losses because I have a feeling, even though I didn't see the end of the game, that he probably took one tonight. (laughs) Um, One bet, one bet I want to go back to from two weeks ago. You guys know where I'm going? Cespedes, Matt. Cespedes versus Matt. Cespedes. I was the only one who took him. I actually did not count that, so I'm going to give myself one more point here on the scoreboard. Uh, last week, a good week all around for, for the betting. Combined strikeouts, we learned to Grom 14.5. Everybody took the under. Everyone was right. Uh, combined walks for Wheeler and DeGrom. Doug and I took the over. Uh, Brett was covering for Will. He took the under, and he's the only one who gets the points on that one. 
Uh, dollar hot dog night. I think you guys all had the had the over on the Baker's dozen for the Rosa family. We were right at a dozen. Uh, not that there are any real points for that. And then the over under win totals. Everybody took the over. Everybody gets points. I get one more point for having Cespedes coming back before Matt's. Scoreboard says Will 10, Doug, or excuse me, Will 12, Doug 10, me 10. So it's time to get to this week. Guys, we had some great outings last week. I want to know, there's five games left in this week before we record again. How many Mets pitchers from Wednesday to Sunday will go six innings pitch with two or less runs in? The over-under is one and a half playing the Cubs and the Nationals. Good competition. Six innings pitched, two runs or less. I'm taking the under. Will? I'm going to take the under as well. I'm going over, guys. I, you know, I was thinking about taking the under. I was trying to bait you guys into the over by setting the number pretty low. But since you guys have no faith, I'm going to be the one with faith. This is the podcast of positivity. I'm taking the over starting tomorrow night. Uh, all right. Right now, coming into tonight, the Mets are eight and a half out of a playoff spot. I assume that they are... Maybe a little further back now, but coming into the game tonight, they're eight and a half behind Washington and eight and a half behind the Diamondbacks. They're eight and a half out of the wild card and the division spot uh, and the pennant, I should say. So at the end of the week, will the Mets be over or under eight games out of a playoff spot? Could be division or wild card. I'm going to say over, and it's not because I'm totally down on the Mets. I think they probably have like a 500 ish week, um, but Arizona is playing Philly this weekend. And um, Arizona is also beating up on Detroit right now. So I think Arizona wins more games than we do, and we end up either as we are now or further out. Doing the research. I like it, Doug. Will, what do you think? I'm also going with the over. Um, I, just, I don't know. I, I don't see it against the Nationals that we're going to go make up too much ground. So you think it's going to get worse before it gets better? Uh, you know what? I'm, if I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to go down with the ship. I'm going to say that we're going to get a little bit closer here. I think that we're going to take three out of four from the Nationals this weekend. The pitching staff is ready to go finally. Guys, Rosario, we talked about that he's still not up. Over or under Friday, June 23rd for his debut. So this is 10 days from today. Does he make it to the majors in the next 10 days? I'm taking the over. I'm not sure that we're ever going to see him because this is the absolute perfect time and we're still not budging. So if if not now when so never will are we gonna see him in the next 10 days i really hope doug and i are wrong but i'm going the over as well i i just don't see when they're what the plan is and it just seems like it's it's not soon is what the plan looks let, like let me ask when when you say debut you mean actually playing right because i could see terry or sandy calling him up and terry just being they're like, not nah, gonna Reyes call is him better. up and leave him on the bench i wouldn't put it they're past terry to be like no i'm gonna stick with my guy reyes they're going to call him up. They're going to play him. It's going to be next week. They're going to wait till after the National Series. They don't want him to have to debut in Washington with a raucous crowd, um, you know, with the Mets kind of teetering on the edge of uh, falling out of any chance at a playoff spot. It's too big of a spot. They don't want him there. You'll see him next week. I'm saying that he will be up before June 23rd. Guys, five remaining games this week, over under two and a half wins. I'm going under. I'm going under. I think they have two more wins in them this week. I'm going the under, too. I'm going to stick with Doug on this. Me and Doug going and uh, seeing if we can put some distance between us and you. Yeah, you guys are you guys are staying together and going negative. I'm all about the positivity. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna win the series uh, tomorrow against the Cubs. 
We're going to get at least two. I think we're going to get three in Washington. It's going to be over. I think the key to winning wager time thus far this year is to miss a podcast and have Brett fill in for you. So I think I'm just going to have Brett answer for me from now on. Yeah, Brett Brett has been dynamic in wager time. Producer Uh, Brett with the research. I owe him a beer. He built up my lead. Yep. All right, guys, it's time for the big conclusion. Last week, what were were we waiting to see? I wanted to see if Rosario was going to come up. He did not. Doug wanted to see how Mats and Lugo were going to do in their debuts. We've covered it at length. They were excellent. This week, Doug, what do you want to see? What are you waiting to see? Rosario watch. You just told me he wasn't coming up this week. I, I said I'm looking to see if they're going to call him up. I don't think they are, but I'm waiting with bated breath. You're waiting to see something that's not going to happen? Exactly. Terrible choice. Will, what are you waiting to see? I'm also <laughs> something that directly contradicts my uh, last statement in, in wager time. But I'm waiting to see if the Mets can start climbing towards 500, that they've gotten within uh, a stone's throw of it now, that a good another good series or two, they can be back at 500 and looking to restart the season. You just told me it was a blip on the radar and that we weren't. You guys are terrible at this. Here's what I want to see. I want to see how they're going to handle this six-man rotation. Are they just going to keep giving everybody an extra day of rest? Are they going to pull somebody out of the rotation? What are they going to do? That's what I'm really interested in seeing. It may take more than a week for it to shake out. Um, But over the next couple weeks, that's really what I'm looking to see. Uh, Guys, what's the reason you got to believe? You guys have been all negative. I've been going positive. Give me me a reason you got to believe. Well, the Calgary has arrived, right, that – these uh, guys that have been waiting for them to come back have finally gotten back here with the exception of uh, Syndergaard. Um, let's see if we can start going and putting something together. Yeah, the the boys are back in town to steal a line from Thin Lizzy. Doug? Reason you got to believe to uh, steal a line from KFC at Barstool, oodles and oodles of pitching. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm going to make it unanimous. It's the pitching. Wheeler and Gazelman really coming along. Mats and Lugo are back from the DL. I think it's they're not going to have a, a number of long losing streaks with this amount of starting pitching. I say that, and of course, they're going to lose six in a row. But no, it's the starting pitching. Uh, guys, I don't have a Gary Keith and Ronism. Just want to say thanks to everyone for listening to Generation K. Check back next week for another episode. You can find and subscribe to the podcast by searching Generation K. That's Q-U-E in iTunes. Please rate and review. That helps others find us and share the podcast with your fellow Mets fans. You can also find the podcast at soundcloud.com slash Generation K and on Stitcher and Overcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at Gen K Podcast and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, what we can do better. Tweet at us with questions. We'll address them in our next episode. You can contact us at generationkpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thanks to Robin Ventura, our theme song is L.A. Woman by the Doors.